0: I'm Mark Gagan, and you're listening to the Voice of Insurance podcast, produced in association with Advantage Go. Release your underwriters to underwrite with Advantage Go's underwriting platform. Normally, I have C-suite guests on the program who are working for companies with tens, hundreds, and sometimes low thousands of employees. They generally write between the tens of millions, the hundreds of millions, and the single-digit billions in annual gross premiums. But today's guests are working on behalf of marketplace that directly employs 47,000 people, and many more offshore. It writes well over $100 billion in gross premiums, and that is a number set to rise sharply as the market continues to harden. This is because, together, CEO Caroline Wagstaff and Chairman Matthew Moore run the London market group, the LMG. The LMG is the London market's trade body, bringing together Lloyd's and its constituent underwriting businesses, the London company market and the brokers to represent the whole London insurance and reinsurance market to the outside world and to lobby on its behalf. London is facing a demographic squeeze where its stock of over 50 year olds exceeds its number of those under the age of 30. In this lively episode, Matthew and Caroline recount the nature of this problem and more importantly articulate the plan they have formulated to address it. We also talk about the prospects for the UK regulator to have to take the market's competitive position into consideration when making and implementing new rules, as key financial services reform legislation makes its way through the UK Parliament. We also talk about the prospect of the UK seeking to develop a red carpet welcome, to rival that of more nimble and proactive jurisdictions, such as Bermuda and Singapore. We also discuss the continuing iterations of ongoing work to further the London market brand under the London Makes It Possible banner. Matthew and Caroline are passionate and really engaging speakers, and this episode will give you a great sense of where the market's collective marketing and lobbying efforts are being channelled, both now and in coming years. Enjoy the podcast. This episode is supported by Oxbow Partners. Oxbow Partners is a management consulting business specialising in the London, Bermuda and European insurance and reinsurance markets. In fact, In 2021 and 2022, they were named one of the top 10 consultancies in the sector by the Financial Times. It's fascinating speaking to the team about the kinds of topics they're supporting. Helping reinsurers take a strategic view of their operating models. Designing smart follow syndicates in the Lloyds market. And developing ESG responses. The company's strapline talks about giving executives a fresh perspective. So if you're keen to understand the challenges and opportunities coming down the track for your business, I'd recommend giving the team at Oxbow Partners a call. Caroline and Matthew, welcome to The Voice of Insurance. Thank you for having us. Thanks very much. So we're sitting here very much with your, obviously Caroline, you always have an LMG hat on these days, but Matthew, another LMG could be Liberty Mutual Group. So we have the chair and the CEO of the LMG. So we're talking about Matters London and the London Market Group. One of the things I know you're really focusing on at the moment, and something we've spoken about over generation in the London market, I think is how to attract talent, but you've identified a talent problem. What's the scale of that problem?
1: We have identified a problem through the board of the London Market Group, and it goes along a couple of lines, which are really quite important. First of all, we've really paid attention to the data in terms of who makes up the workforce of the London market. And over a period of time, we've measured a trend that shows that the numbers of those in the cohort aged above 50 is greater than those aged below 30. And why should that matter? It matters for a number of reasons which are very closely connected with the success of our market quite rightly this market's got some huge ambition we need to digitize we need to develop new products we need to compete against other markets around the world and all of these things we need talent which is energetic which is diverse which is filled with digital natives which is really going to allow us to achieve our business ambitions at both the company level and at the market level and on reflection both the numbers and anecdotally show that we're just not set up to achieve that at the moment by the methods in which we're recruiting into the market. So the London Market Group has really put that at the top of its priorities to address on a consolidated market-wide basis.
0: Is that not just a reflection of ageing population? Of Is it out of whack with what the demographics is as well, in that we have less 30-year-olds or under 30s than we really should do in terms of
1: their percentage of the population makeup. Yeah, that's correct. It's correct in terms of the demographics, but it's also correct in terms of the attractiveness of our market relative to other industries. You know, When we think about the proposition that this market actually really represents to us in the know, how dynamic it is, how closely connected it is to society, to economies, to solving all the problems that we're all going to have to solve together. When we think about what it represents in terms of people's interest in climate or transport or art or equine or pretty much anything, That proposition isn't being matched by its attractiveness to attracting that talent. And that becomes a problem in lots of different dimensions, as I've said, both in terms of our ambitions, but also in terms of our costs. Now, when I sit across the boardroom table or speak to other chief executives, even before the recent bout of economic inflation, the London market was suffering very significant wage inflation. And that is particularly vexatious to us all, because we are also custodians of the London market. We're all committed to getting the cost of the London market down in terms of what it costs to trade with us. And this particular issue, where we hadn't put enough high quality young talent into the pipeline, was causing its own wage inflation. As I say, coupled with what that means in terms of us realizing our market ambitions, and you've got a problem to be solved. Now, fortunately, the London Market Group is uniquely well placed for us all to get behind that and do that. So, as we look at the work that we're doing here, we think it's the right thing to do, and we're pretty excited
0: about it. Just to pick up on that point, I mean, how much more additional inflation are we pouring on top of the already economic inflation that we've got by having a talent shortage and then or presumably having to bid up the small amount of talent we've got in between us all the time?
1: I think there's one single number that we could point to. I would say that there are definitely pockets where that intra-market wage inflation is pretty alarming, actually. And that's not just in underwriting, it could be an actuarial, it could be claims, it could be finance. And to repeat, as custodians of the business. That's gone from being a frustration to actually a pretty structural problem to our market and one we need to address. Do you think it's a service problem as well? I remember bumping into an old broker
0: friend a couple of years ago, asking how everything was. Everything's good, actually. My biggest problem is that I can't find a lead underwriter because they've all got gardening leave. And they've all just done a, a sort of revolving door swap, practically, between different employers. About four or five of the main leaders that I normally go to have gone because they're on gardening leave. And now I can't really get it. Everyone else has got a sort of junior assistant underwriter holding the pen and no one really wants to sit their neck out and quote me a price, which is not really
1: very good for the London market. That feels like one of the laws of unintended consequences, (laughs) which maybe runs deep within the veins of our marketplace. I'm not sure that that's intended. But I do think perhaps something goes to a popular theory in the market, which I perhaps subscribe to, which is that the marketplace didn't really invest post 2005, 2006, in terms of the talent that we needed to really rebuild the market in absolute and relative terms to other marketplaces. And when you turn the handle on those demographics, you get into a situation like today where the over 50s overrepresent against the under 30s. But look, that's something that we can repair. We have got a fantastically compelling story to tell young people, school leavers, university leavers, people to come into our industry. We've got the story. Now's the time to go out and tell it properly.
0: I would agree with you. The amount of people who in our market who encourage their own offspring to come into the market, it kind of tells its own story that obviously wouldn't do that if they thought it was no good or there wasn't a great career prospect in, in store for them. So, what are we going to be doing then? What's the plan? How are we going to go out and capture a larger share of the youth?
2: So, one of the things I always say about this to people is we need to get our head into the same space that we do about what we do every day. So, What do we do? We pull capital to take bigger risks and we act collectively. And we've never had that attitude to what we do about talent. And we need to get that attitude so that we can industrialize. As Matthew said, there's a lot of data that we're looking at in terms of how the market operates. And we know structurally there's a long tail of small to medium sized businesses who probably could do with some help and support in taking on younger people into the market. So we've basically got three legs to the campaign. The first one, as Matthew said, is we have to cut through, we have to tell our really good story to a wider group of people. And we're doing that by framing it in a way that young people will engage with it, not talking about property facultative underwriting or whatever it is, but talking about what are you interested in? You know, are you interested in celebrities? You know, the market can speak to all of those things. A better story told through digital engagement. We're going to put this out, Instagram, TikTok, through Facebook, through LinkedIn, because those are the channels that young people are engaging with, and we need to be active in them. So telling a better story is number one. Number two is getting out to some universities. There is a much bigger graduate recruitment program in this market than there is for school leavers. But nevertheless, we've chosen 15 to 20 universities where there is a good cohort of interest in financial services. And we're going to engage with them in terms of events, careers offices, the relevant courses to really push home the message about what the London market has to offer. And then lastly is engaging with school leavers because we see a lot of growth in demand for businesses to take on school leavers. But everybody's doing this one school at a time. There are 16,500 secondary schools in the UK. So we need to speed up the process. So our initiative is we're going to target 50 schools around the M25. We're going to get specialty insurance onto the curriculum. We're going to have an outreach program. And then hopefully we'll culminate in a London Market Academy next summer, which will involve a high level of work experience so that people can really get into the market. Because what we all know when we bring young people in is seeing is believing. Once you're in the market and you talk to people, People are very easily convinced that it's a great place to work.
0: This recruitment process has changed since I was a graduate 30 years ago. There used to be sort of milk rounds and that kind of, we used to call it the milk round. There was a kind of expo somewhere for graduates. You'd wander around and sort of look at different stalls and pick up merchandise and see who had the best mugs and scarves and goodness (laughs) knows what else and other things. And it doesn't really work like that anymore. It
2: doesn't really work like that. There are careers fairs and we are investigating whether we should be present. My argument is there's no point in going to a careers fair unless you've started telling a more compelling story. Because guess what? However good your mugs are, no one's going to turn up.
1: And the London market bows to no one in the quality of its merchandise.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And the second thing is the pandemic has slightly done for that. So, university students, particularly, have gone through two to three years of not having physical careers fairs and they've slightly disengaged with it. They don't really work digitally. And so, when I've talked to careers offices in universities, They're not really pushing that as a way forward. They're saying you've got to get in early. You've got to do some digital engagement. You've got to do something that makes you stand out from the crowd. And so that's what we're looking at, to do something a bit different.
0: And are you getting professional help with this? Because obviously, if we've already recognised we're not very good at recruiting, then presumably you've got some professionals there to help because there's a whole industry out there to help us.
2: Indeed. And lots of other industries do this better than we do. Why reinvent the wheel? Let's go and learn from other people's experience. So we've got two partners one for the universities, one for school leavers. And this is what they do. They help identify the schools with great levels of diversity or areas of social deprivation that we can target. They know the schools, they know what materials the schools need. So our job is to corral the market to make sure they know what's going on and feel part of it and want to be part of it. So this month, October is market engagement month. My ambition is by the end of the month, everyone will be going, oh, not those people talking about talent again. We've heard nothing else from October. We're doing events for HR professionals, doing lots of social media, talking to you, Mark. How else could you get the message out there? That's what we want. We want the market to get behind this initiative.
0: And as the sort of skills you're looking for, I presume they've changed. I got picked up by the recruitment process 30 years ago because of language. So I was looking for a job where I could speak Spanish all day and this was a great place to do that because it's a global marketplace and of course lots of Spanish speaking business done here. How's the sort of skill set that we're looking for changed, and then how's that reflected in the way that you go about capturing that?
2: I think one of the really interesting things is, especially when you look at the young people in the market, is the sheer breadth of where they come from. And so we need to cast our net pretty widely because there are clearly very successful young people who are adding a tremendous amount of value who come from a really diverse background. And that doesn't just mean whether school leavers or graduates. I've spoken to graduates of languages, history, biochemistry, space engineering, and all of those skills find their place in the market. So Yes, as Matthew said, you know, we need digital natives, we need data, we need analytical skills. But as someone said to me, you don't have to be a maths expert, you just need to be not scared of numbers, because you can learn a lot of that stuff on the job. And I think that's really critical to us to get over the messages. Don't feel you have to come in a certain package to work in London. London's a wide waterfront, and it can take on a lot of different people with a lot of different skills.
1: I was just reflecting on, you know, if I think back five, six years ago, the nature of the conversations in boardrooms was about how many data scientists can we get in the industry, because the London specialty market is all about you know, whoever cracks the data is going to be the winner. But Quite quickly, you see, as, as Caroline so well set out, that it's really about a really diverse set of skills. It's about a mindset. It's about the ability to change and adapt throughout a career, rather than just picking a set of skills, one set of skills off the shelf and dragging it into the London market. So I think that's really kind of hardwired into our approach in how we're reaching out across disciplines, across school leavers, across graduates, because it's that diversity in the London market which actually really exists in our foundation. So that would be entirely natural and very, very rich environment to bring people into that.
2: And I think we need to bear in mind that what we're trying to do, the analogy I always use, is we're trying to fill the pool. We want a wider pool of deeper talent. But then the companies will come and fish in that pool and they will want different things. Some may want data scientists, some may not. They might want something else. They might be looking for a bloodstock specialist. So our job is not to pre-describe what it is we're trying to hire for because that is the competitive advantage of the businesses that we represent. And a lot of them have said to us, oh, if we get great talent, that's a real source of competitive advantage. My answer is, yes, it is. But if no one's heard of specialty insurance, that's the job we can help do for you.
0: I presume this is a long game, isn't it? It has to be a long game, or at least a very medium to long game. So have you got the funding or the commitment to keep it up? Because I presume it's something you have to keep compounding over time. You can't just do it one year and say it's done, can you?
2: No, because people keep growing up. So every year there's a new set of people who don't know about specialty insurance. And other people retire, of course. You know, every year, by definition, there's a new sixth form and there's a new first year and a second year and a third year at university. So absolutely it needs to be a medium to long-term investment. And I always talk about it because my background is kind of building a brand for specialty insurance as a destination career. And if you're building a brand and you're starting from nowhere, it's not done in a year, it's not done in three years, it's not done in five years. So we are absolutely committed to this as a medium term. I think the great thing is we'll learn as we go, We'll learn a lot. The data will tell us stuff. The experiences will tell us stuff. So we can evolve, but the ambition must be there. And I, from what we talk about around the LMG board table, from what I talk about when I talk to individual member businesses, is I really believe there is a commitment to do this. And it's absolutely clear in my head as the CEO that this is a five-year program.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think, Caroline make a very good point about how the market evolves. Because, Mark, you know, we've just been talking about when we came into the industry 30 years ago, a new recruit into the market could be given a very junior role, moving pieces of paper around through a claims department in a very junior underwriting role. Well, it's absolutely been necessary for the London market to make our business more efficient, to digitise and to make that process much better value for all of our customers, which frankly means that those roles don't exist anymore. And probably, nor should they as we seek to become ever more efficient and effective. But there's a whole new range of roles that do exist in our businesses, which never existed before. That could be tech, it could be digital, it could be data, it could be product development, it could be customer experience, it could be distribution, it could be a whole host of things that we've kind of got a quasi-science around that we never had before. And that's going to need a whole new range of skills, which over a period of time, maybe the under 30s, are going to be better at developing than the over 50s. So this is about a dynamism. In our market, as well as just filling a pipeline. And
0: you're going to be able to measure all of this. Your top manager, Matthew, I'm sure, everything that goes on Liberty Mutual, you want to
1: measure to see whether you're succeeding or not or see where you could improve. Are you going to be measuring all of this? Measurement and data is really hardwired into this process. And that's for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's much more digitally oriented, which makes it easier for that data to be collected. But also, very importantly, there are discussions around the London Market Group table is that human resources and recruitment is only effective in the medium to long term when supported by data. Otherwise, we resort to anecdotes and frankly has not served us well. So to repeat, data is absolutely first and foremost built into this process.
0: Well, I wish you all the best with that, this new reinvigorated drive, because it's always been part of the mission, but now it seems like you're giving it a really extra bit of impetus. And Caroline, I need to ask you, we've got a new government in the UK New set of ministers. We've got a a lot going on with potential financial services reform, which may or may not be beneficial to the London market. Can you give us an update?
2: Yes, well, I can give you an update today. Of course, by the time this is broadcast, everything might have changed all over again. So, uh, as you know, we have been engaging with various administrations over the last year, but more widely, actually, not just the administration, but with quite a wide range of parliamentarians, both in the House of Commons and in the House of Lords, to get over what it is we think that the wholesale insurance market needs from the new financial services and markets bill. The good news is that that bill is in parliament. So we're spending a lot of time putting together the amendments we would like to see because the bill does one good thing, which is it introduces a secondary objective for competitiveness and growth for the regulators. What it doesn't do is it doesn't really articulate how that's going to be measured what good will look like, and how anyone will know whether they've actually given it any consideration at all. I think the current bill says something like, in their opinion, have they done a good job? Which to me sounds like they get to set their homework and mark it afterwards. I'd have been brilliant at school if I'd have had that sort of measurement.
0: Absolutely. So you're going to be pushing for amendments to make them much more specific?
2: Indeed. So we've got a whole slew of amendments. We've got draft wordings we've suggested. And we have had good engagement. We've sat down last week with the bill drafting team at the Treasury and shared with them our amendments and our thoughts. We've sat down with a number of city ministers and, you know, we'll keep doing that. But the key will be when it's in the House of Commons and then actually when it's in the House of Lords, because there's quite a strong body of opinion that thinks that most of the amendments will get done in the Lords. The robustness of the regulation here in the UK is really important. It's what attracts investors and it attracts customers. And we don't want to dilute that. this is not a race to the bottom in any sense. This is about making it a bit more fit for purpose. So we want two things. we want a bit more proportionality where the regulators understand the different risks that are posed by different sections of the community and react accordingly, and a bit more nimbleness, and I think that's you know possibly operationally in the FCA at the moment, there's a lot of delays in authorizations and the mood music is good from Stratford, that that's being sorted out and things are moving faster. But if you're going to buy a business in the UK and it's going to take you nine months to get your change of control through, it might make you pause and think about it. And I'm not sure the regulators quite realise the impact that they can have on those sort of
0: investment decisions. Absolutely. But you're encouraged that, that that's likely. You said mood music was good. So.
2: Well, if you listen to the regulators, they've told us 40% of the authorizations backlog has been cleared, that it should be much better by next year, but actions speak louder than words.
0: What else is on the agenda on the lobbying front?
2: Well, the Financial Services Markets Bill is taking quite a lot of our time. I think something else we're really keen to talk to government about out of the minutiae of the bill is something which we describe colloquially as the welcome mat. So whenever you talk to an insurance business about why do they go to Bermuda, why do they go to Singapore? The one thing they talk about is the welcome they get from the Bermuda Development Agency or from MAS has a development arm, where nobody's trying to lower the regulatory bar, but people are trying to help you get over it without too much pain and grief. That's not really what happens in the UK. We think if you could create an independent body that genuinely help people to navigate their way into the UK as a financial services centre and around the regulation, then that would be a really good thing to do. And so that is something else we're trying to insert into our conversations with government. We think that would be much more positive than trying to, say, have a regulator of regulators or anything else that
0: might have been mooted. Because we already have other departments of government whose job it is to do that, to say, come and set up a business in Britain, it's great here, et cetera, et cetera. But we don't
2: really have it for financial services, and we think that that would be a really welcome addition.
1: You were nodding there, Matthew. Do you think that's a good idea? I do think that's a good idea. I think the gap between what the London market represents and how it's understood and appreciated by government is historically so large to almost be inexplicable. And the work that the London Market Group has done over the past few years has certainly sought to narrow that gap. And I think Caroline has very well set out what that is. We do seem to have considerably more engagement from the government in the past 18 months than has hitherto been the case. And that's got to move from words to deeds, but also an approach. And I think that welcome, Matt, way of thinking about it actually is very helpful. One of your other remits, obviously we've
0: spoken about talent and lobbying government and representing the London market in those lobbies. The third strand that I always associate with you, and I go back to Steve Hearn, who probably sort of founded this new revamped modern version of the LMG that we're talking about now that you're running, was projecting the London market out into the wider world. And I remember him talking about the success of, say, it was the Australian wool mark or kite mark or those kind of things, sort of seal of approval to say it's quality London assured, that kind of thing. Is that still on the agenda and are you still pushing? Tell us what you're doing in that sphere.
2: Well, the two are very much linked. I mean, one of the things when we talk to government is we talk about what an export led industry we are and how much of our business comes from outside the UK. And that's, you know, different conversations we've had with the Department of Trade and Industry. I mean, they're always really surprised when we tell them how much business comes from North America, for example. So continuing that outward promotion of the market is absolutely the third leg of our stakeholder engagement, which is talking to business producers. I think what we have done is rather moved away from this sort of seal of approval, kite mark idea, because our job is not to do quality control for the 350 businesses in the market. That would be quite time consuming. But what we can do is create a shop window and drive people to it, which demonstrates what the London market is doing. So this year, for example, we've created a climate change space on the London Makes It Possible website, which allows businesses to tell the market what we're doing. So we've promoted the Sustainable Markets Initiative. We've promoted all the individual products that are on offer in the market. We have people producing white papers, thought leadership, We've got people talking about products that we're very interested in. So, DNO has been a big topic this year. So, we've done podcasts around that. We've done videos with climate change experts around sort of storms. And so, the idea is that we show people this fantastic wealth of expertise and knowledge in London. And again, like talent, we don't have to go to conferences to do it anymore, which used to be the old model. We're doing it digitally, so we're getting. Digital engagement in the US meets the broker community, driving that traffic to the website and getting them to engage with the content.
0: So yes, you don't need to put this kite mark on because we've already got rating agencies, you've got regulators, that's already got the seal of approval. The fact you've already got a license and you've got an A rating is probably enough.
1: This is an issue that's very close to my heart, leading a, a global part of the business for quite a long time now. All around the world, people have very strong views about the London market. Sometimes it's positive, and sometimes it absolutely isn't so positive. But they do have very strong views. Now, the London Market Group is the only place that can actually bring together the broken community, Lloyd's, company market, all of that ecosystem that happens in London, for us to better tell our story. Because people are going to have strong opinions, and we want them to have the most accurate, and indeed the most positive view of the London market. So we really need to revive that sense of articulating the story, of of colouring it in, because frankly, going around the world over the past few years, I've found that the gap between how London thinks of itself, and in many places, how the outside world thinks of London, probably isn't to our credit. Now, we've got such a good story to tell, and we've got the platform to do it. And that's really what the London Market Group is lining up behind. So it makes it possible still ongoing and still fully firing.
2: I think we talk about it less because it's a longer standing campaign. But it's again, it's evolved over the years, so it's become more digital. We've produced more bespoke content in the last couple of years where we've gathered market experts together because I think one of the core messages about London is this fantastic collaboration. From the day I started working here, this sort of tension between the fact we compete and collaborate at the same time, I think has always been a rather fascinating one for me. And I think the ability to demonstrate that, that it lives and breathes, that you can get brokers and underwriters together in a room and talk about particular products or particular solutions or particular issues, it just literally makes that come alive for people. So we don't talk about it as much, and that's probably my bad. We should talk about it more because I'm proud of the work that we're doing. And it does go on and it is reaching people. And in fact, this year, we've extended that digital campaign into the UK because that is our second largest source of business. As Matthew said, we sometimes sort of, we've been ignoring our own backyard a bit. So, we've been actually engaging a lot more with the UK this year.
0: Matthew, I can't believe that you're nearly three years into this role. Could you reflect on your role as chair of the LMG? What have you enjoyed most about it? What's been the most satisfying part of it? And what's been the most frustrating part of it? Because I presume there have been frustrations because you're representing such a diverse body of people.
1: Well, there are frustrations, but like anyone, Mark, as you know, that works in the London market, we're all too busy to be frustrated. All the things that get thrown at us in the last three years, clearly, the lockdowns surrounding COVID are a frustration in the London market, because one of the unique characteristics of our market is just the extent of face-to-face business that we all do. And as I actually look out today onto the streets of London, I can see it's pretty much as full as I think it was pre-lockdown. So it feels that that energy's returned to London. And that's what's great about the London market group, whether one is the chair or one is on the board or one interacts with it. Because it gives you pretty much the best ringside seat to look at the whole market, how it all connects together from the brokers to lawyers to the company market, to whether it's underwriting, broking, actuarial, finance, investors, raising money, what people think of London from the outside, what people from London think on the inside, what the government thinks of us, and indeed what we think of the government from time to time. And just being in the middle of that network and to make, hopefully, a contribution to a market that has been very good to me and I'm extremely fond of, has been a wonderful way to spend the last three years. So you're
0: very, very positive. It's not like
1: you felt you've been shunted on some committee and sort of had to serve your term and it was your turn. No, not at all. And if indeed serving a turn as chairman of the London Market Group would be a pretty nice gig, all things considered, principally because you get to hang out with some very senior, very smart people. Excellent chief executive. I was going to uh, and, say, when does
2: my plug come in, Matthew?
1: Yes. I, I are <laughs> responsible day. for hiring Caroline, I presume. I was responsible for hiring Caroline, and that, that was a very good thing. And, and, and when I think about how the government views us, the seriousness that it now takes the London insurance market, when I think about the quality and the energy behind the talent campaign, when I think about how we are creating networks and creating conversations and creating confidence in the London market that we're going to project, around the world and to our customers. I think that the London insurance market has got a lot to be optimistic about and the role that the London market group plays, I think it actually is an important one. I've learned a hell of a lot along the way. One of the things actually is the importance of bringing people together. And I've been delighted to play my small part in doing that. Caroline, have you got any last words? Last words for the podcast?
2: (laughs) And and then then he fired me. I I agree with Matthew. I, I feel really optimistic that we have identified where collective action can really be powerful in the places that the London Market Group plays. And I feel really excited by the energy I've seen around the table, particularly around the talent work. I think we have finally got to a place where we have articulated what the problem we're trying to solve is. And it feels like there's really good support to do something to make it better. And I would say you only have to go and engage with the young people who do work in the market today to feel actually really confident about our future. And the more of that you can get, the better.
0: Good luck with getting this bill through Parliament. Good luck with the recruitment drive. Good luck with getting the government to roll out a red carpet for global <laughs> insurers in London. Thank so you. thank you
1: very, very much, both of you. Thank you, Mark. That was great. Thank you very much.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, Don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this programme. These really help get the word out. Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost-effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. The Voice of Insurance is produced in association with Advantage Go. Release your underwriters to underwrite with Advantage Go's underwriting platform.